This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Our guest this week, Pete Price, can fondly remember the rise of the Beatles in Liverpool. He knew them when Pete Best would play and even formed a protest outside the cavern when he was sacked. Pete also remembers the anger felt by music fans in the cavern when the Beatles became international. They just wanted to keep them the cavern's little secret. Years later, Pete also commissioned a special statue on Matthew Street for the band. It can still be seen here today. I'm Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis and this is Beatles City. Peace and thanks for meeting me here today. So, back in the day, you worked in the cabin in Wood Street, but you were a customer of the cabin and you loved the music back then. You actually just admitted to me that the Beatles weren't your favourite at the time, were they? <gasps> they weren't. And the ridiculous thing is, it all went back to my school days, actually, before the cabin. And I used to sag off school on a Wednesday because Wednesday was the best day at the cavern. And we used to go to the cavern, queue, queue for hours. And then we would go and rush out and go to the Iron Door to see the uh, Undertakers. And they used to sing, mashed potato, yeah, oh yeah. So it was a big day Wednesday, sagging off school. My mother never knew. I used to hide my uniform like everybody else did. I, uh, what is sad, the people who've never been in the music industry in those days have no idea how raw it was. There was so much music. There was the Mersey Beats, there was the Big Three, there was Scylla, there was so many bands. The, uh, 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 it was just crazy. And it wasn't all this electronic music. It was the, the, the band call would be tap, tap, tap of the microphone, you're on. So it was raw. And the cavern was just spectacular. So you would go down and you went downstairs, Paddy was on the door, he was the famous doorman, there's a picture of him, at the old cavern entrance, which is the proper cavern entrance, which is where Scylla's statue is. In this day and age, never in a million years would health and safety <laughs> allow that to happen, because it was a sheer drop. And that was it, in and out, so it was crazy. And you'd go, and then you'd get your soup, so you'd get a bowl of tomato soup, but you'd have to eat that quickly because the sweat used to come off the walls and drip into your soup. Ew. And if that didn't happen, the toilets would flood over. So it was very, very earthy, but sensational. And I always remember wearing my CND badge because I was hip. I was cool. And by the way, this is an exclusive, and I promise you faithfully this is true from the bottom of my heart. I had a Beatles jacket before the Beatles because I was into clothes, and I designed this jacket with no lapels, and I actually wore that and got pictures of it, and I think the Echo did a picture a thousand years ago before you were born. How scary <laughs> is that? So it was a magical time. But then I started to like the Beatles, and started to get to understand their music better. But then I got angry because when Pete Best left, or was sacked, and they brought Ringo Starr in, I was one of the people outside that marched because we wanted Pete Best back because he was amazing talent and nobody ever got to the bottom of what really, really happened. And we were against Ringo Starr. So that was the first time we marched. The second time we marched was after their first record come out. We didn't want it to be a hit. 
because if it was a hit, we were going to lose them. They would move out of the area, yeah. and it would be terrible, so we'd lose our Beatles, and it was us. It was the Mersey Beats. And I still, to this day, as a 73-year-old man, have got my Cavern membership card, and there's not a mark on it. I've got the Merseybeat magazines, which are individually uh, wrapped, but they're all bright yellow. They're so old. So I've got all my memorabilia from when I had the times there. So where did it come in with the Beatles? So I started to like the Beatles, and I realised um, that they weren't getting the recognition they ever got. So the story about the statue, which I'm really excited about to tell because it means a lot to me. I was working in the Seychelles, uh, working in a club, in a hotel, in the Takamaka room, and I was just sitting on the beach one day and I thought, why isn't there a statue to the Beatles? So I wrote to the Echo, and the Echo printed my letter. Came back from six weeks working in the Seychelles, and I was in the catering industry then, working at the cabin club after I'd gone to the Seychelles, and to my shock, National newspapers had picked up on it. There shouldn't be a statue, there should be a museum, there should be an art gallery, there should be this, there should be everything, everything in the world. And everyone was saying to me, do this, do that. And I thought, I'm getting fed up with this. Then I started work at the Shakespeare, and I thought, I'm going to build my own Beatles statue. I'll get it done. We have an amazing sculptor in this city called Arthur Dooley. Sadly, we've lost him now, who was amazing, fabulous bronze as he did. And I went and approached him, and he said how much he wanted to do it. I then went to see some people to see if I could get it put on the wall in uh, Matthew Street. I then went to the Shakespeare and said, can I have the club? And they said, yes. And this is a long story short. I then did this amazing evening... We sold tickets. Uh, Paul McCartney's dad came, Jim, with Ange McCartney. We raised £2,000. I think the statue, if I remember rightly, was £1,200. The other £800 I gave to Frankie Vaughan, who was one of the sons of Liverpool, who was involved in um, Glasgow with the boys' clubs. There was wars going on up there with boys' clubs and stabbings. And he, we gave him the money and everybody agreed that was a great thing. Then we went to Arthur Dooley. He designed it, Lads That Changed the World. We then went to the owners of the building and we had it put up. The World Press were there that day and that's how the Beatles statue was born. And then one day, somebody stole Paul. So it had somebody walking away, it's not walking away, had a baby sort of away from it because the, the Beatles were going to split. And somebody stole him. To this day, we've never found out. And then somebody put this awful doll up on the wall that was painted silver, which was not part of the statue. But that's an Arthur Dooley. And then I gave and did the most beautiful um, scroll, giving ownership from me to the city of Liverpool. And they lost it. Oh, no. How so they, lo they lost it at the town hall. Well, many years ago, Joe Riley found it. So Joe Riley, who used to write for the Echo permanently as a member of staff, as now does his column, he found it, 
gave it back to me, so I had the sculpture, and I've given it to the Beatles Museum, so it's now in the Beatles Museum down at the Albert Dock. That's the story, and it's such a striking statue, isn't it? It's so different to anything else that's down there. I think so, and it was the first. Nobody can ever take that away. It was the first one ever. And Jim was pleased, and Paul was pleased. And I always went to Jim's house. Um, Jim McCartney lived in, in Rembrandt when he was alive in, in Heswell. And when I was at the Shakespeare, I used to take the stars out for a tour because I, I love showing them Liverpool and the Wirral. So I used to go everywhere with them and take them everywhere. And I got friendly with Jim and Ange, and I'd say, I've got so-and-so with me this week, do you want to meet them? So we'd finish up having a cup of tea with him. So a lot of the artists had met him through him, and then I thought one day, when Paul became famous, famous, I'm going to meet him. So I used to go to the house and have a cup of tea, and I always remember one day I, was, I drove my car in, and this lovely little girl, I didn't know was Stella at the time, went up and I went, you're a lovely little girl, who do you belong to? And he went, it's my daughter, and I went, hello Paul, hello, <laughs> oh, finally, how, how are you? <laughs> and he was lovely with me, and he loved the fact that I was nice to Jim. I'm very friendly with Mike McCartney, his brother, and of course they were in the scaffold, and they did fantastic, we had them at the Shakespeare, but it was great, and it was a sad day when Jim died, because I was very fond of him, he was just a lovely man that just worshipped his kids and couldn't believe how famous they became and then Paul I met Paul a few years later with Linda when they were on the Red Rose tour when he'd left the Beatles which was devastating for the world I mean the world was devastated and he gave me I never forget it he gave me two dozen Red Roses to give to my mum and I just loved him for that so so that's my story with the Beatles with the cavern and with my statue and what, what was it like? I know you, you worked in the cabin on Wood Street around those times. What was it like? What was the atmosphere like? You can't explain. It was, it, was, it was rough and earthy, but it was fantastic. I'll tell you how long ago it was. At the cabin club, Christmas Eve dinner with entrance was 10 and 6. That's 50 pence plus. Uh-huh. New Year's Eve was 21 and sixpence. It was, in fact, no, it wasn't. It was uh, one pound, one guinea, which is one pound and ten pence. That was dinner in those days. And the dinner was, and it was the food to eat, prawn cocktail, steak and chips, and black forest gatto. That's what I was cooking. And, of course, then we turned in, we had a band on, but I also played the music, and that's where the cabin is where I started as a DJ. Because one night the band went on, I had my chef's hat on, running three restaurants, and they said, what are we going to do about music? I said, well, let's have a disco. And there was no discos. It was only Billy Butler doing it at the Mardi Gras. I didn't even know what a disco was. I'd not been to one. Because in my day, you walked on to live music and off to the records. The records were the fillings. So I got up with one turntable, ten records, dressed as a chef, screaming and shouting, and the rest is history. That's brilliant. So what were the other venues like then in, in the city at the time? Did you ever see the Beatles perform in any other venues in, the, in I... Liverpool? Did I ever see the Beatles perform in any other venues? The favourite one ever was the YMCA in Hoylake. It was a Wednesday, it was one and six in Old Money to get in, and it was half full. But Jerry Marston filled it every time. And that's when I first saw the Big Three, and they were my favourite band ever. And the Big Three had this girl that kept singing Fever, 
and her name was, let me think, let me think, Scylla Black. And mm -hmm. Scylla and I became friends. And that's when we first met. And how did your relationship flourish? Didn't really flourish at all. We just knew each other. And then she was cloakroom attendant at the cavern for a while. So we'd say hello. And then I used to say how good she was because she had the voice, has always had the voice. And then she became famous and we distanced ourselves because we weren't friends, friends. And then through the industry, uh, we got to know each other. And I interviewed her several times and I just hit it off with her and Bobby and the kids. And... Uh, it was the worst day of my life when she died. Uh, the best ever day, ever, ever day, was 2008, when at the end of the capital culture, when she said she would uh, come out of retirement and do the panto. And it was the most amazing way to finish capital of culture. And that was the famous panto when she was on stage and she said, how shall I kill him? And somebody shouts, sing to him. <laughs> What a line. Yeah. So you've mentioned before about the Beatles fans and being completely different to any other fans. You were a fan of Jerry yeah. Marston, as you said, and Scylla and the big three, but you were always taken aback a little bit, weren't you, by the Beatles fans? I was because, I mean, I went to the Empire to see the Beatles and you didn't hear a word. You, did, you seriously didn't hear a word of one song. It was crazy. It was, it, it was it, it, I've never seen it again. I've, I've, yes, of course, take that and people like that have the most ridiculous fans. I have never seen hysteria or heard hysteria like it. And it was just, it was, it was scary. It was really scary. You didn't feel scared because you were young. You were just one of them. But Love Me Do is still my favourite song of all time. And then when Paul went on his own, uh, Yesterday is my favourite song and Long and Winding Road. So they're the three songs I love most. But back then, if you were to listen to them, you wouldn't be able to hear them through the crowd no, not screaming. At all. Never heard a word. Never <laughs> heard a word. So, at what point was it for you that you know it switched and you decided, oh wow, these are really something? They started to write some really interesting music. They started to. I, I was still cross that Pete, Pete Best had gone. I can't imagine what life Pete Best has had. I know, I know Pete, and I've worked with Pete. But I can't imagine deep down how he must feel to have seen a band develop like that and him not develop with them. I can't imagine what it's like to be Mike McCartney, uh, brother of a famous, world-famous star. And Mike's a talented man, talented photographer, and group he was with was tremendous, a scaffold. I mean, we had a great time with them, Lily the Pink and uh, songs like that. They're a phenomena that people can never describe, never, ever describe. And, of course, his family, Paul's family, are people like Ted Robbins and Kate Robbins, who are all cousins, and they'd go to family parties down at St John's Wood at the house there, and they find him just dead ordinary. And when, when I've been in Paul's company, he's been just one of the lads. And when, so when you'd done the, the march, what was it like? How many people were there? And Oh, it was a busy march. It, yeah. When Pete Best was sacked, there was a busy march. It was also a busy march when the, the single started taking off nationally because we were worried sick. We thought we'd lose them, and we did lose them. Yeah. We did lose them. Well, that's something that you don't really hear yeah. much of, do you? You don't hear about, you know, the people who was almost protesting about Pete, about Pete mm. and about the first single. But it's selfish, Really, because it is selfish. You want them to do well, but you know they're ours. You can't have us. They're ours. You know, get off. You know, there was always a rivalry, by the way, between Manchester and uh, Liverpool over the music. Always a rivalry. Uh, it was incredible. Well, was there ever almost a little bit of bitterness? You know, the the from the Mersey beat. 
Uh, I would say more than a little bit of bitterness, a lot of bitterness with a lot of people. One thing about Liverpool people I love and Merseyside is we're very protective of our own and we're very... That's ours. That's the passion that we have, and that's the passion. And we had some fabulous, fabulous musicians, some incredible talent, incredible talent. Some of those... I feel sorry for people like you, young people like you, that have missed out because you can't explain how fantastic it is. Whatever, people can despise the Beatles, people can hate the Beatles, people can hate everything they stand for, but they can't change the world, and the world loves the Beatles. I can go anywhere in the world, as I've gone as a working comic for the last 50 years on the ships, I've worked all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, I've worked everywhere. People will say, Liverpool, do you know the Beatles? So what does that tell you? How much money? Of course we've got two football teams, of course we've got a lot more, but let's never forget what we got from the Beatles. And back then you said you wanted the statue because you thought we weren't, you know, making enough and shouting about them enough. Do you think that's still the case today? Do you think maybe we could make more of a thing of the Beatles in Liverpool? I don't think we could do any more. I think we've done a great job. Uh, I think in the early days we should be ashamed of ourselves, but I think we've done a great job. Thank you very much, Pete. Thanks for speaking to me today. If you've enjoyed this episode of Beatles City, please remember to review, rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, where you can also find all episodes from our first two series. And all the episodes of Series 1, including an exclusive interview with Paul McCartney, can now be found on the Liverpool Echoes YouTube channel.